Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Uh, have you ever noticed in our culture, uh, there tends to be seasonal shifts in our culture. And uh, kind of the, the definers of the seasonal shifts for us is basically CVS and Starbucks. Um, you, know, uh, you know fall is coming in mid-September because pumpkin spice lattes show up and uh, it's not even cold anymore and you're like, I want a latte, pumpkin spice. And then, um, and then all the Halloween de- de- decorations come out. And then immediately on October 31st, something happens. It becomes Christmas, and uh, you know, and everything. All the radio stations only play Christmas music. It's Christmas, 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 until like the 23rd of December, when everything shifts and it all becomes about romance. And CVS is loaded with terrible bears, those weird cloth ro- roses. My wife doesn't like them. I don't know why, but anyway, and uh, really bad chocolate. And then immediately on the 15th. Well, we'll give it to the 17th because I got to sell all that stuff. But anyway, um, on the 17th, everything turns green and Guinness goes on sale. And, um, and we know Easter is coming because Guinness is on sale. And all of the magazines in the CVS Pharmacy, Whole Foods, all of the television shows, Discovery, the History Channel, they all begin to ponder the same question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I've been perusing all the articles this week. And these are my favorite. Is the resurrection of Jesus a metaphor? The resurrection of Jesus, a metaphor for mindfulness and meaningfulness. And my favorite, the one I find most offensive, primitive understanding, the resurrection is actual history. These articles line the newsstands everywhere and they blast across our TV. Now yesterday, I have a bit of a confession. I was forced to ponder Easter as a metaphor for spring in a real way and why it ultimately doesn't work. Yesterday, I was here at St. George's. I came in, and uh, this has been the first, like, normalish Easter we've had since 2019. And so I've put a tremendous amount in the staff. We've all put a tremendous amount of expectation into these services. And I felt a lot of pressure uh, just to make everything absolutely right. So yesterday, I came, and I didn't quite like where the flower arrangements up here were. And so I called Steve, our amazing MC, and uh, I took it upon myself to begin to adjust all the flowers up here. And uh, to be honest, I think we made it worse. But anyway, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I have an appointment with my therapist this week to talk about control issues again. And so, but... Uh, but uh, the, the flowers, we were here like two bulls in a china shop trying to fix these flowers. And, uh, you know, and the petals are just falling all over the place. Praise God, it looks, I mean, we could have just had sticks. But anyway, you know, and like one of the branches poked me in the eye. I about threw, we both about threw our backs out. And um, as I was looking at all these sticks on the ground here and all of the flower petals, I couldn't help but think 
of that great Roman poet Horace when he wrote about the false promise of flowers in spring. He writes this, the swift hour and the brief prime of the year say to the soul, thou wast not born for I. Thaw follows frost, hard on the heel of spring, treads summer sure to die. Comes autumn with apples scattering, then back to winter tide. We are dust and dreams. What Horace is getting at is that spring ultimately is a false promise. And this is why it cannot work for Easter. The tulips and the daffodils must wilt. The scorch of the summer and the dead of the winter will come again. It's for this reason T.S. Eliot wrote, April is the cruelest month. It promises much, but like life, it disappoints. Now before culture turned Easter into a metaphor, Easter belonged to the church and the earliest church, even secular scholars, will acquiesce to this point. The earliest church from the first century, their confession was Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. The church has always at her heart, understood the resurrection to be actual history and fact. They most certainly didn't need modern science to tell them dead people don't come back from the dead. In fact, the Jewish theologian Pinchas Lapid, in his work, The Resurrection of Jesus, from a Jewish perspective, he argues no notion of a symbolic or metaphorical resurrection would have caught traction amongst the Jews of Jesus' day. They would have been like, yeah, right. Save that for the Greeks. <laughs> and this is why St. Paul writes so forcefully in our epistle reading. If for this life only we had hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Or in other words... Jesus is, if Jesus' resurrection is simply a metaphor and he didn't physically and historically rise from the dead, then we should close up shop because we're late for brunch. I'm telling you, I've hinged my whole life on this thing. And if they find his body, I'm out of here tomorrow. <laughs> but this is my first point. The resurrected Jesus is no metaphor St. Paul writes, but in fact, in the Greek it translates, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And what this means is, is that Jesus is God's vindicated Messiah, who by his death and resurrection justifies you justifies you. You will stand before God and this death and resurrection given to you justifies you before God. And it saves you from the seasonal cycles of life of pumpkin spiced lattes and reduced Guinness that ultimately all land in the grave. His resurrection breaks the mold. 
I love how St. Paul, he uses horticulture as a metaphor for the resurrection in our reading today. And if you've ever been to the farmer's market in Union Square, you know first fruits. What that means is is that there's more to come. I love that when I see the first fruits of the strawberry season or the first fruits of New Jersey corn. Am I the only one? I get really excited, you know? And what St. Paul is illustrating is that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead but there will be more to come, you and I. And why is this important? Well, let me explain. You see, in the Bible, death is not only a state, but in the Bible, death is understood as legal language. It is a legal sentence for sin. That's what death is. And it demonstrates separation from God. Death is there not to be like, oh, great, the circle of life. No, it is there to tell you that something is wrong. And this is why St. Paul argues when Adam sinned, his sin became our sin as well. His sentence becomes our sentence as well. And therefore, as he says, in Adam all die. And why? Because he is our representative head. He represents humanity. This is what the Old Testament is all about. Not about moral lessons for you to live. But the Old Testament is all about the search for a new representative. The Old Testament is looking for that new head of humanity. And this is what Jesus is all about. St. Paul's point is is that Jesus is the new Adam for us all, who did what the first Adam and all of us could not do. And that was to be perfect. It's not try your best and God will do the rest. The standard is perfect. And we see that Jesus perfectly loved God. And Jesus perfectly loved his neighbor. And as the representative of a new humanity, as the representative of humanity itself, he becomes, and this is the horticulture metaphor, he's the seed that's laid into the ground that then comes bursting forth as the first fruit of new creation. And now the good news of the gospel, the good news of Easter, rooted in real history, is that truly, very truly, all of us who are united to Jesus in faith, by grace, have, despite what you may have, been, may have done, you have been transferred from the column of death to the column of eternal life. You have been transferred from the column of hopelessness to the column of hopefulness. You have been transferred from the column of condemnation before God to the column of justification in God's eyes. And this is my second point. You and I, we may have been born to run, to quote Bruce Springsteen, but we've been born to die as well. 
We've been born to die. The Spanish philosopher Baruch Spinoza once said, we are born leaning towards death. However, the gospel, Jesus' resurrection, Easter, it says your death is ultimately defeated. And in him, you have been eternally declared dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. As Christians, you and I are actually dying to finally truly live. Now, there's a lot of new research that's recently confirmed that the brain, our brains do not accept death and that it's related to us. It's fascinating. This research has basically proven that we have eternity built within us and into our subconscious. Dr. Yair Don Zeiderman at Bar Ilan University in Israel, when talking about his research on the brain, said, we have in our brains this primal mechanism that means when the brain gets information that links itself to death, something tells us it's not reliable. Something tells us that it shouldn't be believed. This is why when people, even in their late 90s, when they get a terminal diagnosis, there's a bit of shock. There's a bit of unbelief. Something tells us it's not reliable. And Dor Zederman added, we cannot rationally deny that we will die, but we think of it more as something that happens to other people. Isn't that true? Something that happens to other people. And the truth is, is that you and I may try to push death away. But I would argue so much of our anxiety in life, our fear and our restlessness, is driven by the realization of death and the fear that our lives and what we're doing will someday come to a screeching halt. And indeed, social media with all of the pictures and everybody having a fabulous life and a fabulous vacation and a fabulous dinner only heightens that within us. Let me tell you a secret. Nobody's having that great a time. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, they, they never take a picture of the fight at dinner. So, you know, just take it easy when you see those pictures. But this is the thing. We're worried that it's all going to come to a screeching halt. I remember I talked to an artist who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and his life was just, I mean, he was just getting on the scene. And I remember he said, it's all coming to an end. It's all coming to an end. It's not fair. You see why the resurrection is so important and why it has to be historical and real and true. Because a metaphor can't ultimately pacify that fear. A metaphor will not bring you comfort when you're diagnosed with terminal cancer. Jesus' resurrection settles the question of death once and for all. And you and I, as the rest of the fruit, the more to come, you and I need not live our lives with the dread of striving for the next thing, hoping to deny death just a little longer. 
Instead, you and I can live as a new creation now. And this brings forth joy and thankfulness. This is my third point. And hear these words, especially as you come up and receive the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood, tokens of our salvation. Hear this. Into a death-denying world comes the real message, the historical message, the tangible message. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is truly risen indeed. Alleluia. And Jesus has risen to give us real hope and a real future beyond the grave. It's not about your best life now. It's about dying well to enter into eternal life. Alleluia, Christ is risen, heralds that Jesus is no simple metaphor. Rather, he is the head of a new humanity. Therefore, dear Christian, in the here and the now, Jesus' resurrection from the dead gives meaning to our lives and gives meaning even to our deaths. And it gives it an eternal meaning so that we might know for certain when that day comes, we may die, but you will not die forever. And that the life you've lived is not in vain. That your life is no simple metaphor either, but rather you, you matter deeply to God. And your life has a purpose, and your life has a meaning in this age, but also, more importantly, into the age that is to come. For Christ has risen from the dead and has trampled death by his death. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org give. Thank you for your support.